Welcome to Powwow Live Podcast from powwows.com, connecting you with native culture since 1996. Here's your host, Paul Gowder. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to Powwow Nation Live. This is the show from powwows.com. My name is Paul Gowder and I am the founder of powwows.com and this is our chance to get to know you, interact a little bit, bring you some news, interviews, and all kinds of other stuff from around Indian country. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your support. On tonight's show, we have a great interview with a speaker and educator, Navajo uh, Yui Begay. She is a member, she is a nomadic of the nomadic people born of the Towering House clan. Her maternal grandfather is of the Black Sheep clan, and her paternal grandfather is of the Near Water's Edge clan. And in this way, she is a Navajo transgender woman. She was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, and she is the co-chair of the Indigenous Pride of Los Angeles. She works as a freelance graphic artist, a website designer, and consultant. She works in public health field, and she graduated from California State University, Long Beach. And we talk a little bit about today about um, some of the things she has done to help educate businesses and corporations about Two-Spirit and uh, what that means and how how that affects the workplaces. But I found this interest, uh, interview very interesting and I wanted to bring her on because we got a lot of questions during June, during um, Pride Month, with a lot of people not understanding Two-Spirit and how um, what Pride means to Native tribes and how it's been part of many tribes' history for, for a long, long time. It's not a new thing. It is not something i uh, got a lot of comments about that uh, we are just pushing a new woke agenda this is not new this goes back hundreds of years so i wanted to ha- bring somebody on that could address that having said that i do want to say i appreciate her coming on i appreciate that and i wanted to bring you this interview if you don't like the interview. If you are offended by the interview, I would be glad to have a discussion with you. I think you will enjoy it, and I hope you learn something from it. So thanks for being here today. I appreciate you, Tom. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Uh, Auto uh, public health yigi banish nish. Auto consultant do graphic artist nish le. Um, California State University Pobogna det ninilska. Auto tordinejen det nasha in de tobangar de kehashtke. So, hello, my friends, family, my people. My name is Ua Begay. I am of the Nomadic People Clan, born for the Towering House Clan. My maternal grandfather's clan is of the Black Sheep clan, and my paternal grandfather's clan is of the Water's Edge clan. So I'm also, um, in this way, this is how I identify as a Navajo transgender woman. Um, I'm also the co-chair for Indigenous Pride LA, which is Los Angeles' is only two-spirit, Indigiqueer, and Indigenous LGBTQI+. Um, organization and event that honors our cultures, our identities, and our heritage. Um, I also work in the field of public health. I'm also a consultant, program consultant. I'm also a graphic artist. Um, I am an alumna from California State University Povogna, also known as California State University Long Beach. 
Um, and I am originally from Kayenta, Arizona, from the Navajo Nation, but I currently live on um, unceded occupied Tongva uh, territory here in West Los Angeles, near the village site of Kurovogna. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Um, first, I just have to ask you about um, kind of where we got, I got the connection with you is the, the tribal uh, royalty event that's coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what's going on with, with that? Um, yeah, so um, the tribal royalty event, I believe, <laughs> happened a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was it was spearheaded by um, Avril Cordova, um, and she's a wonderful um, community advocate, educator. Um, she basically uh, kind of gathered a bunch of uh, individuals who were like power royalty around the Southern California, more like the West Coast area, including Arizona and parts of New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. Um, and so this was to kind of... Uh, I guess show the younger kids like what what does royalty mean beyond the crown, right? What does it mean beyond the pageantry? Um, and I really liked all of our answers. Those of us who were on the 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 live and the call with um, Avril, um, especially me being thirty years old, a lot of them were like younger um, younger girls and boys because there's were there were also um, male royalty as well, um, me being the two-spirit and kind of transgender uh, royalty for that portion. But it was just interesting hearing the younger folks, how much um, culture meant to them while they, before and while they were, um, you know, uh, won the title, sorry, right, <laughs> I'm yeah, like blanking yeah. out. After they won the title, it was just interesting hearing their answers because, you know, I feel like even though I am 30 years old, I kind of mainly hang out with the elders, right? The older two-spirit people, the older people of my um, community. And so oftentimes what messaging that I get told, even me growing up, and what I continue to hear to this day is that our young ones aren't speaking and learning their culture no more. They don't know that much. And it's hard for me to agree with that because of the line of work that I do, I witness so many like beautiful, intelligent, smart, resilient youth who know how to speak their language, who know how to do cultural things, who know how to bead, who know how to weave, who know how, you know, like all these culture things, who know how to tan skin and hide, who know how to smoke fish, like, right, how, how to prepare um, like whale fat, the muck duck and all that, that for the Inuit folks, like there's just so many young folks who are carrying on the tradition and you know based on that royalty that the, the life that we were in i was just like it's kind of hard for me to agree with that not not that i'm calling elders a liar but that i'm more so like thankful that the work that the elders have done and those older older than us have put before us because we wouldn't have learned that if they didn't continue that right um so I thought that was a beautiful uh, panel that um, Avril put together about uh, power royalty, how basically what what do we do? What what does it mean to to what does it mean to be a, power, a, a native royalty person beyond the crown, right? Beyond the pageantry. 
Um, and I was just really like amazed by their answers because I knew what I was going to say. I knew what I was going to talk about, but I was really amazed by them because I'm like, wow, y'all are younger. <laughs> y'all are carrying on the good work and, and, and following your, your own tribal paths. And I thought that was just uh, amazing and beautiful. Yeah, I've heard the same kind of thing before that this generation uh, isn't connected as much. But I think in the last couple of years, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's social media. I don't know. But I do feel like there's been a resurgence and people mm-hmm. wanting to connect. You know, I'm hearing even at, at powwows, you're hearing more people introduce themselves in their language. You're here. You know, you're seeing more of that. Um, I know a, a lot more people have gotten back into beating you know it I, I don't for a while maybe that was true but yeah i definitely do see it's uh it's getting better and it's gonna be fun to see where we are in five or ten years i was talking to a, an author yesterday and same kind of thing is uh he he kind of described it as a renaissance of um, native storytelling whether it's on tv or in books or whatever we're seeing more and more of these stories and that is causing a resurgence of people feeling connected back to their culture and their tribe. So yeah, it's pretty exciting, right? It's an exciting, exciting time. Um, but I also want to, want to talk to you about your work there in, um, in Los Angeles. Um, first, first kind of tell me about, I know you are a uh, speaker and educator and you do some workshops. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then I want to talk a little bit more about the organizations you're involved with out there too. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned when I introduced myself, I am a um, project consultant. I'm a graphic designer. Um, I work in the public health field. That's kind of my main focus. Um, I forgot to add that I'm a current student at USC at University (laughs) State California, Um, but currently I'm taking a break from my master's program in public health. But um, yeah, a lot of the works that I do around here is around um, like uh, like program, programming consultant, right? So someone might reach out to me and be like, hey, we have this grant or, um, you know, we have this, uh, uh, what have you funding and we want to incorporate two-spirit people. We want to incorporate trans people. Um, even for like non-native organizations, right? We want to involve more native people. How do we go about that? We don't know where to begin. And so kind of my line of work as a project consultant is like, okay, well, you know, if you're a native person, what are your intention? Uh, sorry, if you're a native organization, right? What are you, what is your intention, right? What What is your foreseeable goal? Is it sustainable? Because oftentimes what happens is when people start like two-spirit initiatives or like native trends and queer initiatives, it just fizzles out. Um, and you can tell because A, there's no investment in the infrastructure of sustaining such a project. And B, like the workplace isn't prepared for that type of, um, for that side of the native community, right? Because we are native. Um, and it could be something as, as much as like trying to deal with um, homophobia or transphobia or even internalize homophobia and transphobia because there are some people who might not be out but still have those like um, feelings of self-hate, right? When they see folks who are out and about um, being proud of who they are. On the non-native side, right? Same thing, you are trying to invite native people, you are trying to start a two-spirit, what have you. I say the same thing, right? How, what's your intention? How sustainable is it? Is your program ready to tackle on such a feat? 
Um, Because one of the things that I keep running into is not only is it unsustainable, but there is like no, there's no, how do I say this? There's no like guide. And so that's where I come in. I'm like, okay, well, if you really want this program to be very successful, you have to establish some type of board, right? Some type of advisory board, some type of um, community accountability, right? Because you just can't, you as a non-native or you as a native who is non-two-spirit and non-trans and queer, you can't possibly know what the community wants, right? Unless you have a, a worker employee who is in the community, who knows about the community, you cannot possibly know what the community wants. And that's where like a, a advisory board comes in handy. And I'm like, okay, these are the steps to find, to seek some members who are active in the community, who are leaders in the community to kind of guide you on where and how to go. Um, it can also be, um, that's one example of the line of work that I do. The other one that I've also done was, um, I've also co-authored a curriculum for the Department of Mental Health here in Los Angeles County. Um, I've co-authored a curriculum on how to improve services for two-spirit individuals and two-spirit clientele for both Native and non-Native organizations. Um, I co-authored it with this um, this uh, mental health collective called Indigenous Circle of Wellness. They are a wonderful, fabulous, um, Indigenous-owned and operated mental health um, group here in Los Angeles based in the city of Commerce. And so together, uh, me and a couple of other staffs kind of co-wrote this curriculum to to kind of address why Native provide, not Native and non-Native providers throughout the state of California, because initially it was just for the county, and then I guess the county just opened up to the state of California. And so we had people from like rural California who admitted, like some other staff admitted that they're just scared to talk to, to Native gay and trans people and two-spirit people. And I'm like, how can you be scared, but you the one holding the dollars, right? You the one holding all the grant funding. How can you be scared to interact with this community? And, um, you know, through the focus groups, that's where we got the data the, the, the focus groups and the facilitation, that's where we got the data to try and co-author co this curriculum. Because we're like, okay, well, if this can be done in, in a series of workshops, it will definitely help the, the providers in terms of the capacity building and even just being aware of like their own biases and maybe where some of the challenges and barriers pop up throughout the services that they provide. Um, an example can be your receptionist, right? If your receptionist is homophobic or transphobic, that's going to turn away your clients like from the get-go. And so a lot of people didn't realize that, oh my God, my receptionist, we never thought of her as a pivotal staff until now. And I'm like, yes, even the security guard, if you have a homophobic or transphobic security guard, like, you know, part of my language, but that motherfucker is going to chase away all the, 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 the native queer and trans people. And no one's going to want to visit your, your, your um, organization ever again. Um, so, you know, just trying to help, um, programs kind of get off their feet, um, how to build a more sustainable model, stuff like that. So that's kind of the work that I do. Uh, so many important things there. It, um, I'm a big Disney fan. And one of the things I always think that was really cool in the Disney parks is that they, they train their, the janitorial staff 
in customer service because that is the face of of the parks, right? I mean, that's the person you're going to approach. So same kind of thing. If you're not training the people who are in contact with the public, it's going to be a fail. It doesn't matter what policies, what workshops you have. Yeah, it's going to it's going to be a failure. Um, But also, I love the idea of making sure people have the correct infrastructure. I, you know, it was maybe 10 years ago or maybe a little bit more that, you know, I saw a lot of people, a lot of corporations, you know, working on figuring out how to make sure that they had um, training for uh, racial biases and racial preferences, making sure that they were aware of native issues in their workplace. And it was the same kind of thing happening. They, they had great workshops, they had great training, but then they had nothing to kind of sustain that. And so I think that is really important if you are in that field, if you're working toward that in your organization, it's more than just a workshop. You have to actually put some people and policies in place to do it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, or it's just going to go away and it's not going to take root. Yeah. Really important stuff there. That was cool. Um, I hope people will take that to heart. And if, Hey, I'll have links, reach out, hire, (laughs) hire you. Right. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, so, um, I mentioned this when we first started talking here is last month was pride month and we, we got some questions from people and, um, and I know you talk about, you've, you've done talks about this. So can you, in a general, I guess, term is, or general idea, can you tell, tell the audience out there a little bit about, you know, what does two spirit actually mean and, and how did, and does two spirits fit into, into the tribal history and, um, I I guess the kind of, um, tribal culture. Um, yeah, sure. So, um, how many, how much time do we have as long as, as long (laughs) as I need? Yeah. So, so, um, when talking about two spirit, I know when talking about like, um, you know, like two spirit, LGBTQ, black disability like you know these like quote unquote what they call buzzwords some people might be put off to it especially our own native community and what i want to tell folks who are put off by all those types of words is you need to sit down and and just look up listen right what these terms mean because language matters and i am going to tell why language matters in regards to two-spirit so with my talks throughout many of the Two-Spirit elders um, who, who help create the consensus, the, the consensus of the word that is Two-Spirit back in the 1990s Winnipeg Native LGBTQ gathering back in 1990, Two-Spirit was, came about because um, they wanted a word for us um that a we created and b was more positive in um in um what do you call um is it behavioral no one of the um why am i blanking basically they tried to create a term that is what we call in the health field asset based so there's two things there's deficit based and asset based these two things will help kind of inform you of how 
things are, are, are formulated, how things are presented, stuff like that. An example is if the non-native says that Native Americans have the highest rates of diabetes, therefore they are in need of something, effectively what that person is doing is deficit framing Native people. On the other hand, if a Native person says, my people have the highest rates of diabetes because of X, Y, and Z, um, you know, despite us having high rates of diabetes, we are still doing X, Y, and Z. We are still doing this. We are still doing da, 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 da. That's called asset framing. So deficit framing is like when you take something away, when you kind of frame it in a negative light. Asset framing is when you kind of add to it, right? You're, you're, you're building it up. You, you are adding a positive light to it, so to speak. So Two-Spirit. Prior to Two-Spirit, the only word that was out there for um, those of us who are Native American and did not were not cisgender or heterosexual, aka, you know, straight or um, born, born, identified with the gender that we were um, assigned at birth. Prior to that, the only word and this is going to be a, a trigger warning because this is a slur. Um, if you're not Two-Spirit, if you're not Native, please don't say this word to um, Two-Spirit people or don't say it at all. But the only word that was out there in academia was this French word called Burdash. Burdash was used in academia for long periods of time to describe what the the um, colonizers and the settlers encountered back in the you know the early days of colonization that was the only word that was there for us for those of us who were quote unquote not cisgender or not heterosexual and the reason why burdash is very problematic is because when you trace its kind of its et its etymology right the, the the meaning of the words how it, how it became the be it uh, has its origins in um, a France, and then it has its origins in Italian, and then Latin, and then um, Persian. So, right, it's it's uh, it's a word that belonged to the old world, but because the old world, Europe, parts of Asia, parts of Africa, right, that's what they call the old old world back in the day, because homosexuality and and tra um, being transgender, or even just like wearing clothes that weren't associated with your quote unquote sex that oftentimes was punishable by death or some type of severe punishment. And so Burdash, when you trace it back to its etym et etymological roots, it comes from like a Persian word to mean like a young boy who was kept as a sex slave. Now, <laughs> you can see why my two-spirit ancestors and my two-spirit elders who are still alive today we're like, hold on, that is that is not right, right? That is not how we view ourselves. That is not how our people view people like us long ago. And so at the 1990, they were like, well, let's come up with a better word for those of us. And one of the things that, um, oop, I feel like I'm frozen. Did I freeze? Okay. And one thing that gets left out of the conversation is not only did they create it for themselves, but they said they wanted to create that term for the younger generation soon to come. Because as Native people, we always do that, right? We always want to look up for the generations ahead of us as well as those behind us. And so because Burdash was getting thrown around, this slur was getting thrown around in academic papers, 
Um, colleges and universities were calling us that. And so my two-spirit elders were like, no more. You're not going to call us a slur anymore. And so that's where two-spirit came out. Um, the, the very term two-spirit got coined in 1990. Um, nowhere else will you, will you find the word two-spirit. I know a bunch of non-native communities are trying to claim two-spirit, but two-spirit is native, right? When we say language matters, when we say lang uh, language matters to people, well, Native Americans, we claim that. We coined that term first. So non-natives out there, please stop trying to identify as two-spirit. That's not yours. That's not for you to identify and, 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 and take away from us. Um, and so kind of what two-spirit... You know, a two-spirit kind of eventually meant started out as that. And then the elders were like, well, let's try to find a way to bridge a gap between those of us who are gay, trans, right, who are not cisgender, heterosexual, and, and the larger Native community. What kind of bridge will help establish that? Because let's be quite frank, back in the 80s and 90s, when this term was um, being created, homophobia and transphobia was really rampant, right? I mean, I'm only 30 years old. I was born in 1993. I wasn't even born yet when this term came out, but there were already elders who were uh, kind of battling this this battle within the Native community, right? In Navajo culture, we call them monsters, right? Anti-Blackness, homophobia, transphobia, alcoholism, what have you. In Navajo culture, we call those monsters. Well, we've had Navajo Two-Spirit elders who were battling these monsters way before I was born, way before the word Two-Spirit was even um, created. And so that's where the other step where Two-Spirit was kind of meant to be a bridge, right? We're trying to connect. We're trying to build that bridge. We're trying to go back into the circle. And then after that, Two-Spirit started taking on another, another definition because you had people who were not gay who were not transgender, like these people did not identify as gay or transgender, but within their own tribes, they had their own terminology for them. So for me, when I introduce myself, I always say, right? And this way I'm a Navajo transgender woman. So in my tribe, in my tribe, um, for folks like us who were assigned male at birth, who grew up more feminine, we call it, we call ourselves Natlehe. And a lot of tribes, both North, South, and even in the Caribbean, because we also forget about our Caribbean relatives, right? We have words for people who are like us way before contact, way before English, way before French, Spanish, or Russian. Like there were words for us that were that were there since time immemorial, right? And my Navajo culture, the Natlehe, were created because our, our deity, um, changing woman wanted a child who was not male or female. And so she created the, the Nutlaha and the Dilba, right? And we've always been there, right? We have this story about the separation of the sexes in Navajo culture. I won't get too much into that, but um, point is like, we've always been there. And a lot of other tribal members can say that as well, right? People people who were not cisgender or straight in their, in their culture have always been there since time immemorial. And so Two-Spirit is both a creation, but it was also a reclamation because many of these terms that were lost to colonization, many of these terms that were lost to missionization, which is the, the uh, uh, 
Christian and Catholic um, uh, systems of mission and churches throughout the, the, the world, right? We call that missionization. A lot of that was lost to colonization and missionization, our terms for people like us. And so I hope that gives um, some context to Two-Spirit. I know this was like a really rough run and done, like 15, 10 minutes explanation, <laughs> but um, Two-Spirit goes so much deeper. It goes way so much deeper. And if you are curious, I implore you to contact and reach out to your local Two-Spirit Society. Um, a list of that can be found on my organization's website, indigenouspridela.org. Um, again, that's indigenouspridela.org. You can find a list of them. Uh, we have a society here in Los Angeles called the City of Angels Two-Spirit Society. And along with that, you'll find a list, um, an international list of organizations around the in Canada and in, in, in the U.S. Now, you mentioned that while the, the term Two-Spirit is new, there were words for it that we've lost. And so <laughs> I, I want to make this point clear because I got a lot of comments of, of and it's part of it is is hateful, but part of it is also that people don't know. And there, you know, I got a, when I posted anything during the Great Gay Pride Month, is that you know I'm, I'm going woke, right? So I and people messaging me about that I'm now promoting something that's a new idea. The terms <laughs> are new, but the ideas are not new, right? I want to make sure we get right. that point clear. Yes. Yes. Um, so again, two spirit is new. The very term, the very, the very, um, the very phrase two spirit is new. Um, and I think one thing that needs to be made clear is two spirit now does not mean gay or transgender. It does not mean bisexual. It does not mean, you know, LGBTQ two spirit now in this contemporary age has taken on to be its own identity. So for me example, I am both Nuzlahe, I'm also Two-Spirit, I'm also Indigiqueer, right? I'm an Indigiqueer person. I am also a, a transgender woman, right? I have those like four um, identities about me. There are some people who just solely identify as Two-Spirit. They don't identify as gay, they don't identify as queer, they're just Two-Spirit. On the flip side, there are also people who just identify as gay, right? They don't identify as transgender, or I mean, not transgender. They identify as two-spirits, sorry. They're gay and they don't identify as two-spirit, right? There's some trans, native trans people who don't identify with two-spirit. There are some native intersex people who don't identify as two-spirit, right? And so in, in this way, two-spirit is its own thing. Some people may not want to identify with it, some people might identify with it in conjunction with their other identities. And so I think that's one thing that people miss is Two-Spirit is more of a cultural, traditional reclamation, right? We, we always, um, as Two-Spirit people, our roles and responsibilities within our tribes vary, right? Um, for some of us, we might be caretakers. I know for me growing up, I spent a lot of my time um, taking care of my niece and nephew um, some of us were matchmakers. Some of us were counselors, right? I know a lot of us, um, two-spirit queens, a lot of like cisgender, heterosexual, or straight couples always come to us for advice, right? Because we, we, we are gifted from seeing the world in both the quote-unquote masculine and feminine lens. Um, 
some of us just been through hell and back. And so people just want our advice, right? <laughs> so, right, there's different responsibilities for um, two-spirit people within their respective tribes. What those responsibilities are, um, you know, we will, we'll, some of them are, are kept um, sensitive. Some of them are kept confidential. Um, the other thing I also want to point out about is some two-spirit roles and responsibilities vary from family to family within the tribe, right? Certain tribes, uh, certain two-spirit people, if they belong to a certain clan, they're expected to do this. If they belong to a different clan or a different um, band, they might be expected to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of those roles and responsibilities actually um, develop and evolve, A, through the, the, the nature of the community that they were in and also the land that they were in, right? So... If you were, I don't know, a basket maker, if you live out in a really like dry ass desert that didn't really have any like rivers or whatever, odds are basket making might not be your your forte, right? Your community might not require you to, to be a basket maker. Um, or if you do live in a desert and you find some type of plant that can be woven into a basket, you might be a basket maker, right? Like it really differs <laughs> from two spirit to two spirit person and even from two spirit to two spirit tribal um communities so what that is only we know and just like a lot of ceremonies just like a lot of culture practices within tribes are kept confidential because you're not a woman or you're not a man a lot of you don't know two spirit stuff because you're not two spirit and i, I feel like a, a lot of times especially now with all the uh, the, I don't know the, the negative connotations and the misinformation out there. It's people feel like they're just now hearing about two spirit or they're just now hearing about transgender. It doesn't mean that it didn't exist. And just because you didn't know about it doesn't mean it's a new thing. These are not and, and new concepts. Yes. It's talking about that. I talked about homophobia and transphobia. Do you know that many of the, the, the native uh, two spirit elders who coined the term two spirit back in 1990, do you know that some of them were not out? Do you know that some of them, after that gathering, when they went back home, they had to be a straight man? They had to go back and look like a straight man. They had to go back and look like a man. They had to go back and look like a woman, look like they they had they, like the, the, the woman had a husband, even though they weren't really, you know, like a lot of them went back into the closet. A very violent way of existing in our own communities. That's why you don't know about it. We know about it because, you know, we know how even our elders have stories about us. But the elders had never shared it with all of us. Two-spirit persisted. Two-spirit exists today because our elders kept us alive through their stories. When I was young, I didn't know Nadlaha was a thing until my grandma told me, that Nadlaha was a thing. I questioned her. I asked her a question. Hey, you know, what does this mean? And she'll be like, oh, okay, well, sit down. Let me tell you what it means to me when I learned it and what it traditionally means. So please know that, A, two, being two-spirit was kept from you. Just like a lot of our culture and language and what have you was kept from a lot of us because our our grandparents, our parents, for those of you who are older, our parents didn't want you to learn your culture because they were they were afraid 
that you wouldn't get a job, that you wouldn't make it off the reservation, that you might be a victim of violent racism, right? Because if you outwardly look Native, you will become a target. Imagine how it was for our two-spirit um, siblings, right? If you were outwardly what you wanted to be, who, who your creator or who your holy people made you out to be, you would face a very violent violent attack, discrimination, harassment, even amongst your own people, your own native people. And so to people who say, we don't know, it's new to us, we never heard about that. No, you did. And and a lot of two-spirit societies are very intergenerational. What that means is there are people from every generation who are alive, who are two-spirit, who had to hide back in the 60s, back in the 50s, back in the 80s, back in the 90s. Every generation that's alive today, there is a two-spirit person who was part of that generation who had to hide, who had to hide in a closet, and which is very sad because a lot of our traditional dwellings don't have closets. And, yeah, and your your ignorance of something doesn't mean it didn't exist. And I think that's an issue that a lot of people struggle with. I'm hoping as we talk more about it, not just here today, but in general, as we talk more about it, it's light is shine on it. We all understand better, right? So for somebody who is watching this and wants to understand it more and wants to learn more about it, where are some researches, re- resources that people can go to, to to either get involved or to get more information? Yeah, so some of the resources is... Um... Indigenous Pride LA on our website, we have an educational page that talks about what the whole LGBTQI acronym is, what Two-Spirit means. Um, We have the City of Angels Two-Spirit Society. We have a page for them underneath our website. You can also visit your local Two-Spirit Society website or Facebook page or, you know, shoot them a message on Instagram or TikTok, wherever they are. They usually go by regional names. Um, so like Western, East Coast, Southwest, uh, Woodland, what have you. They also go by state. Um, some of them are like Texas Two-Spirit Society, um, Southwest Two-Spirit Society. Um, some of them might go by city names, right? So like an example would be the Bay Area American Indian Two-Spirit Society, which is located up in San Francisco. So I think a really good place to start would be um, Indigenous Pride LA. We have a website or we have a a section on our website that is called Connecting Communities. And if you scroll down, you will see a list of various Two-Spirit societies. Um, That page is still growing because a lot of Two-Spirit societies are still popping up. Um, The other one I would also advocate for is um, Edmonton Two-Spirit Society, which is based up in uh, Canada. Awesome. Well, thank you for help, you know, helping maybe I'm hoping somebody out there learned a little bit today, maybe. Um, and if there's people out there struggling with identity, I hope they at least saw something that they can relate to and uh, maybe will will help them too. So I appreciate you spending time and talking about these, these issues. I, I feel like um, I was discussing this with some people the other day. I, I feel like some of these issues I, I felt like as a society, we had covered these and we were past a lot of these things. Um, I saw a clip from the West Wing the other day on TikTok. And when did the West Wing come out? It was a long time ago, right? And they were talking about these same issues. And I felt like we were past this. But all of a sudden, because of a certain few individuals, all of a sudden, we're, we're taking steps backwards. So I'm hoping, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the, 
this conversation and many more will help us continue to move this forward. Yes, yes. Um, I think for me, I just really want to see my two spirit relatives back in the circle. A lot of us aren't allowed to dance at powwows. A lot of us aren't allowed to even like attend certain ceremonies because people think we will like dirty or, or, or bring our quote unquote filth with us, right? Because a lot of them see us as sexual deviants. And it's like, no, a lot of us are holy people. A lot of us are very spiritual. A lot of us are very like full of light and energy and love, but you won't let us share it with our people because of these notions that, right, that um, Christianity, Catholicism and Mormonism, let's name them out, right? All these all these um, missions and all these um, religions that tell you why you shouldn't love your own people who are different. No, we, we are one of you. We want to be back in the circle. Please let us, please. Great place to end. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed that interview and I hope you learned something from it. Please share it. I would love for more people to watch this and gain a little bit from it. Thanks for listening to the Powwow Life podcast from powwows.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of our next episode. Find a powwow near you by visiting www powwows.com forward slash calendar support powwows.com by visiting www.powwownation.com good luck here's this week's trivia question you can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer all the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10 sticker powwows.com sticker pack here's the question this year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.